Chapter 101 of Varney the Vampire Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jason Oakley. Varney the Vampire Volume 2 by Thomas Prescott Prest. Chapter 101. The Baron made quick work of it, for in five days after the one in which he took Anderbury House, he gave his first entertainment. Money works wonders, and in the Baron's hands it seemed to have lost none of its magical power, for Anderbury House in that time was furnished like a palace, rich and costly were the decorations, the ornamental parts were bold and florid. The house and grounds were of a most magnificent character, though they had been viewed as separate features, but when considered as one, as that which was part and parcel of the great whole, it was truly princely. Great care, labour and expense had been exerted to make the mansion one befitting the habitation of a prince, and the baron himself was looked upon as little less than a prince. His disregard of money, his liberality, all concurred in making him looked upon as one of the most popular men in that neighbourhood. Indeed, none such as he had ever been seen or heard of in that quarter. He was safe to be considered as one of the grandees of the day. Anderbury House was now a theme of conversation with every one in the whole town. His magnificence, liberality and all things connected with him were all well calculated to cause a feeling of prejudice to be made in his favour. When people saw the men that were at work, the loads of articles that were sent there, they were amazed and could hardly credit their senses. Then they all considered how very rich he must be to be able to spend so much in furniture, in hangings, in beautifying and in ornamental work, which must have been very heavy. The Baron was fully determined to do all he had intended to do in the way of opening his first grand entertainment with great eclat and in a manner that would take the whole country by surprise. The day came, the house was finished decorated, filled with servants, and everything that could make it appear as though it had been for years in that state. It is surprising how soon a place can be made to lose all signs of its ever having been uninhabited, and the fact of human beings being in a place soon wears away the look of desolation by which it is otherwise enveloped, but how much easier it must have been, with ample means, for a man like the Baron to cause such a house as that of Anderbury House to become what it was. The great wonder being not what was done with ample means, but the short time in which it had all been collected together, which was done with such celerity and such small signs of bustle and disturbance that it appears as if performed by the wand of a magician, so sudden and so quiet it was done comparatively. At the end of five days there was a number of invitations fairly written out and directed, by order of the Baron, to the principal inhabitants and gentry of the place to visit Anderbury House, and partake of a grand banquet given by the Baron to them and his friends on that occasion. The day was named, and the information supplied by Mr. Leake to the Baron was of a character that to that individual was extremely valuable and of which he freely availed himself. It must not be imagined that the worthy Mr. Leake was in any way oblivious of the promise or obligation into which he had entered with Mrs. Williams, whose name he had taken very great care to insert in the list of invitations that the Baron had sent out. The evening arrived, and the carriages drove up to the Anderbury house in rapid succession. There are few or none of them who knew the Baron. 
They were all, however, anxious, most anxious to see who and what the Baron was who occupied the estate. The title and name sounded well, and that was what dwelt upon people's minds, and it made an impression upon them, and they freely accepted the invitations, especially when they inquired among themselves what was the extent of invitation had been issued, and they were confined wholly to the elite of the place. What was thought or said upon the occasion it would be difficult to say, because it was so various, and there were none who could in any way form an opinion at all, that wore any appearance of probability about it. But there was a rumour spread about that he was a foreigner who had immense riches, desirous of marrying an Englishwoman, and yet unable to obtain introductions in the usual way, or else he was merely acting in accordance with the customs and habits of his own country. The carriage drive of Enderbury House was completely occupied by the strings of carriages that had taken up and set down for two hours or more as rapidly as they could. The fine apartments that Enderbury House contained, that were destined to be used for the occasion, were indeed a splendid suite of rooms, but now they were lit up with chandeliers and adorned with glasses and mirrors and pictures. As for the ornamental part of the mansion, it was superb. Nothing had been spared in expense, and by the way in which it was laid out, it was evident the Baron was a man of taste and judgment, and had converted a nobleman's residence into a palace. The gentry came dashing up to the door. The place was crowded, and many were announced and met and welcomed by the Baron, who gave them a cordial and distinguished greeting. There were many persons present. They were astonished at the display of magnificence and wealth of the Baron. They were delighted by his reception of them, his conversation and general manners, and many, too, were much astonished by the splendid entertainment with which he had provided them. All that art or the season could produce was there, superb wines and liqueurs, fruits, to an extent they had never before contemplated or thought of. Anderbury House was without rival. The wines were good, and they warmed the blood, and curtsies and civilities of life were by the aid of alchemy of old port, splendid and sparkling champagne, sherries, burgundies and other wines soon turned into friendships and cordialities. Baron, said one of the guests, you have a superb place, and you certainly are the proper individual to own such a place. And why, my dear sir, inquired the Baron blandly, because you have the taste and heart to decorate and array the place in a manner befitting its extent, and you have the hospitality of one of the ancients to the east. Ha ha! Very good, my dear sir. You are kind, very kind. But I must admit, I do like to see neighbours act honestly and in good faith with each other. Besides, I am of opinion that man is a social animal, and one who lives only in society. I cannot be a hermit. Right, if the world were all of your opinion, and I believe they are, practice only is opposed, what a state of kindliness and comfort we should all be in. I am sure of it. Aye, so am I. Do you like music? I do, was the answer. Then you shall hear some. We shall have dance presently, and there will be no heart that will be not beat in unison with a harmonious strain. I think they deserve not to be here in the centre of happiness if they did not. Ho! Music there! said the Baron as he stamped on the floor of the grand saloon in which several hundred guests stood. 
The call was answered by a loud crash of instrumental music that came suddenly and startlingly upon the ears of the guests, but then it was followed by a lighter strain, with a pretty but marked melody, such a one that it instantly communicated to those present the feeling of being participators and even actors in the scene that was about to be enacted upon the floor. It required but very little exertion to form the dance, where everyone was willing and anxious to take their places. There was a slight degree of excitement in the procuring of partners. Here for a moment the Baron was at fault, but by some means they were not at that moment explained or even thought of. Mrs. Williams led the beautiful Helen past the spot at the moment. He had spoken to her before, and it was well pleased with her. He perceived she was beautiful and amiable. Her mother, too, was with her, and in another moment the Baron stepped forward, saying, "'Madame, if the hand of your daughter is not already engaged, I beg respectively to claim it for the opening dance.' Mrs. William cursed in condention, saying in reply, "'Yes, my lord, my daughter is disengaged.' "'Miss William,' said the Baron with much deference, "'may I request the honour of your hand?' Helen Williams cursed and she was not engaged and accepted his offer with a smile, but with some diffidence. The Baron immediately led her to the top of the room, where, by this time, there was a perfect lane for them to pass through until they reached the top. All had taken their places by an instinctive sort of feeling that was almost universal in the ballroom. The signal was given, and then the Baron led Helen down the first dance amidst the admiration of all and the envy of not a few. The giddy whirl of the dance, the throng of beauty and the sweet but gay notes of the bands added to the coup d'oeil of the scene, a scene of so much happiness and gaiety there were few who looked coldly upon it. The Baron himself appeared in the highest spirits, and with the greatest hospitality he sought to administer to the wants of his guests every moment that he could abstract from the present leadership of the dance. He visited one and then the other, until he had made a fair round, and then found that the night was very far advanced, and that, in a short time, he was convinced the daylight would come. The guests were well pleased with the splendour of the entertainment, and the profusion that was there. Nothing was wanting. All were well pleased with the arrangements. Great care and great expense had gone to gratify and pleasure them, and it had succeeded indeed. If it had not, they would have been captious and ungrateful to an extreme. The guests, however, well pleased with their entertainment, were still unable to bear up against the excitement and fatigue of pleasure for hours, and the animal power fails. Indeed, there is no one sense which may not be exhausted by an overindulgence, even hearing will, as soon as any other, become invariably tired by listening too long to music, ay, and even become unable to distinguish between the different melodies and the guests began to flag and to pay more attention to the side tables and then to look drowsy and some of the younger spirits appeared to have the dance to themselves the baron now saw the proper moment had arrived for dismissing the company and causing the music to cease he advanced in the middle of the room and waving his hand said my honoured guests the sun begins to peep over the hills and the bright car of phoebus rapidly ascends the sky telling us that another day has begun. The happy mortals must part, and so must we. Let me thank you all for this kindness, for thus honouring my banquet with your presence, and let me hope it may be often thus. Often I say, yes, fair ladies, your presence will always be a distinguished honour. 
While I am a bachelor, I shall continue these fates once a fortnight regularly until someone takes the arrangement of such matters out of my hands by legally assuming the title of Baroness. There was a long pause after this announcement, and then a sudden buzz of admiration which was heard on all sides, and the ladies looked at each other, the Baron, and the magnificent place they were in. We cannot tell what passed in their minds, but a shrewd guess might readily be formed, and the, to the performance of the task we leave the reader. There were many courtesies before the separation was effected, and an hour had passed before the Baron Stolmeyer of Stolzberg found himself alone. End of chapter 101. Recording by Jason Oakley, Brisbane, Australia. www.bangrocks.com